Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Moran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. All right, so we are good to go. We are recording, and Jen, it is just going to be you and I this week. Yeah. Um, but so I think this is going to be a fun conversation. I've got a topic and really want to dive into the weeds on this one. So I think it, it's one that both you and I will enjoy. Awesome. So the the, the episode, um, the, the title I'm working with right now is The Most Important Customer Intent Signals to Track. So when you're, when it comes to implementing analytics tracking, you know, some feel the need to design um, a solution that tags everything a visitor can click on. And I know we've talked about that in the, a bit in the past. We've talked about keeping things simple and, you know, the, the you know, good and bad reasons to, to do that. But I really don't want to dive into that, but just kind of to set the stage, you know, people, some people think, you know, you need to track everything to understand what the customer is looking for. Um, and while there may be value in tracking most of those interactions, there's a core set that can be lost in the mix if you're not careful when you're tagging everything. Mm-hmm. So what I really want to dive into is, you know, what are the most important customer interactions on a site uh, to have tagged first? You know, these things should be tagged right out of the gate to ensure that you're clearly tracking the important details a customer is trying to tell you, the signals that they're sending you. And, you know, l- let's go beyond just capturing, and I say just capturing because, you know, for, for me and I believe for you as well, um, tracking conversions like placing an order for an e-commerce site or filling out a form for a lead gen site, that's taken for granted. We're going to get those in. But beyond that, what are some of the core customer intent um, signals or actions on a website that you're going to track right out of the gate? Yeah, and I, uh, I don't know. I feel like it almost goes back to the less is more podcast. Of, uh, I'm, I'm always more nervous about the uh, instead of telling folks what to track, the please don't track everything right out the gate. And I think mm-hmm. for a lot of folks, um, they often do bite off uh, too big a bite to chew um, for their first implementation go around. So I don't know there's been a few clients where we've said, or we've had to say. Um, here are the core things that, that we will implement out of the box and the things that are really critical. And then once we have proven that we can successfully implement those and report on those, we can expand and start tracking more things, more things. So, uh, I'm going to approach this from that sort of what, what are those core before we start tracking every click and doing all of the enhanced extra cool stuff? Um, what, what are those core things out of the box? Um, and I mean, some of them are the obvious of content identification, just identifying all of your pages correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could go on for some time about that. Um, that is going to be a little bit more geared toward the Adobe side because Google um, 
hopefully you have a good folder structure because that's what Google's going to base it off of. And then you need to go in and, and make sure that you have uh, your content grouped in smart ways and it's looking at the right things when it looks at that URL path. But from the Adobe standpoint of figuring out um, not just site section and a lot of the information you could get from a, a folder structure, but I think page type is one of the things that's often underutilized. Um, that's really important. Uh, partially from my biased implementation standpoint of if, if you have a strong page type, then you can base a lot of your DTM or launch rules off of that. Um, hopefully it, it becomes the basis of logic of, you know, all of my product details pages, you know, this is what we implement there. But from a reporting standpoint as well, um, if you have a, that strong page type, then it's it's much easier to get a, the the higher level view of how folks are browsing your your site. You know, not that they went from page A to page B, in which might be super granular this particular product, but the higher level are folks getting to product details pages from your list pages and that type of thing. Um, so yeah, content identification I think is one of the first things that folks should really look at and have a forward thinking strategy and not just, hey, let's get all the code out there and at some later point we'll uh, figure out how to identify what it is we're looking at. Agreed, definitely. Especially when it comes to you know, how you want to structure a taxonomy, especially like a page type to page name structure. Mm -hmm. Because, it, it, you know, I, I can see exactly what you're saying, because if you throw a lot of that code out there and just start tracking it and then starting to make changes, you break off any kind of trending. But then at that point, page names and page types become flexible. So you're, you know, you, you open the door for constantly changing them um, and, and you never kind of accrue any kind of, of history. Mm -hmm. So yeah. definitely, yeah, definitely um, with you on that. So, you know, to, you know, when, when I start thinking about this too, like when I come into a new implementation, you know, let's just take an e-commerce site um, for, for example, you know, you're, you're coming in like, you know, out of the gate, you know, like, okay, once we get the, the content identification down, the, the key conversion or, you know, a, a, of a purchase, a transaction, we have that down. But, you know, part of that, too, is, you know, taken for granted, you know, as part of that um, tracking the entire funnel. So making sure you have your paid view, your product views properly um, instrumented and being tracked at cart um, as well, because, you know, it, and, you know, down the road, once you have all of this stuff implemented, um, knowing what products people viewed, what they've added to cart, you know, they're starting to take that step of, okay, I am really, really interested in this. So being able to have that data to then say, pass on to your, your email services provider for, for abandoned cart emails, some of the, the best ways to get a customer to come back um, and ultimately purchase because you know what they're, what they're looking at. And they're, they're a few steps away from actually completing a purchase. Um, but, um, the last big thing that I make sure right, right out of the gate that's being tracked is, is on-site search. And sometimes I can't believe how many, you know, how often people underestimate knowing how people are using the on-site search module yeah, and, and not, and, and not just counting, you know, how many times people have, uh, have used it, but tracking what terms 
And then the type of search, type of search being, was it something that they actually keyed in versus say like an autocomplete suggestion or something where they were taken directly to a, a page for other than the search results page, but then also understanding when someone executed a search, were they taken to a search results page or were they taken to a failed search page? So, you know, null search results. Understanding that right there is, I mean, that's um, very quick um, wins when it comes to, to optimization. Because, you know, how we started off talking about this was in, you know, thinking about of what is your customer telling you? And I think on-site search is that one thing that a customer is flat out telling you what they're looking for. And if they're searching for something that you don't have on the site or they're, they're misspelling it, you're not going to know if you're just looking at the funnel of product views to card additions to then checkouts. If, they, if you don't have it, you know, you're not going to know. So understanding um, you know, what are people searching for that they're getting no results on, you can then see, oh, are they searching for a brand that you don't carry or um, an author? that doesn't produce content for your site, mm-hmm. you know, with that, you can then optimize your search results to um, direct customers to content. So instead of taking them to a null results page, say, you know, we don't ca- you know, take them to a customized landing page that says, um, okay, you're looking for this brand, but we carry this brand instead. And it's comparable. Here's a list of products you should actually take a look at. Yeah. Agreed. And with search often, um, I feel like a lot of what folks miss is there's the search results page, which hopefully folks are getting null searches and search terms and number of results. Um, But uh, there's often search redirects and things like that, that might take the user not to a search results page. So uh, if I'm on wugs.com and search for red wug, and it takes me to directly to the red wug product details page, then um, that it's a trickier thing to implement because you have to decide, you know, are we sending an S.TL beacon when they click on the, the input of the search or are we going to somehow surface that on the landing page? Like it, it gets trickier, but without it, you're not getting that full search picture. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of potential value lost there. Same with like if you have auto, uh, auto suggest search, drop down stuff, like all of that is not the simplest thing to implement, but it is, I think, a a valuable thing to do. Agreed. And, you know, if if this is something when you're working with a development team, you know, part of the initial implementation and are properly specking this out, a lot of times you can work with a platform team as they're, say, getting some you know, basic data exposed for you as part of just the overall implementation of, say, a TMS on the site. And then, you know, you're doing the work within the TMS. They, you know, they can help you expose, say, on that that landing page that you're taken to other than the search results page, that this, the view of this page was the result of a search and help, you know, surface that for you. So then it, it, it could make the instrumentation um, much easier or, much more complete than it would be without it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. Um, yeah, and a lot of the, the things that I have are kind of retail specific of things like product finding method, which I think is Ooh, a huge that's a good one. one. 
Um, also one of the not necessarily simplest things to implement, but very valuable. And then a lot of just merchandising category stuff. And by merchandising, I don't mean merch evars, though maybe that's relevant. Um, but you know, if you have SKUs on every page, then upload classifications that have the information about that SKU, what size is it, what's its friendly name, things like that, um, that really make reporting so much easier uh, and hopefully aren't too painful to set up. I think authentication is another big one of who's logged in and logged out. And beyond that, maybe who has ever been logged in, so they're a known user um, versus a you know, complete guest. Um, and things like newsletter, uh, sign up, things where the customer is asking for content and giving you opportunities to sell to them. I think those, uh, those should be top priority. Have you ever worked with a client? So, you know, staying in the, the, the retail vein of things, um, have you ever worked with a client that, you know, uh, heavily utilized a wish list? Yes. And I've worked with some that I, I wish did. Um, and that, that actually brings up a good uh, other thing of just add to carts. Frequently, folks, uh, clearly your product details page, it has an add to cart. We want to track that. But if you have a wish list, if you have order history, um, you have to think of all of the perhaps obscure places that users would be adding to cart. I think add to cart location as a EVAR is very valuable. But you'd be surprised how often people like don't even have add to carts from the wish list page because no one was really thinking about the fact that that's that's a place that add to carts happen. Um, but yeah, wish wish list is something that um, I think it's ignored in analytics a lot that even if maybe it is implemented, it's not reported on hardly at all. Uh, same with product availability. That's another one of if it's out to stop out of stock, are people wish listing it and how successful is that wish listing? Uh, being at bringing them back once it is in stock, like there's there's so much valuable reporting in there. But again, I'm I'm all retaily, um, <laughs> partially because that's one of the more universal. Like you know, all retail people should be tracking these things. Whereas a lot of the other stuff, I mean, we have uh, media slash content clients that we're working with, but those have a slightly less universal experience of, of what is it that they're trying to drive? Is it more subscriptions? Is it merely page views? That type of thing. You know, I've worked with a lot of financial services clients. And again, it's frequently more one-off. Everybody has different KPIs. Um, so while those are all very valid, it's just harder to say in a hypothetical universal sense what, what it is folks should be focusing on. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Because um, I'm, I'm trying to think like right now, I've got two two publishing clients, and and really right now, um, one does have a bit of an e-commerce store, but the major drive for them is is subscriptions. So understanding when someone comes to the site, what their user state is, based on like you know, if you're a registered user, you get you know so much free content until you then subscribe. And then that gives you access to both, you know, a, a uh, an actual physical print um, print magazine that gets delivered as well as online content. So understanding 
you know, registrations and then how often they're looking at content and then being able to see like, you know, are they clicking to look at the subscribe page and then trying to then get them to come back and actually complete the, uh, the subscription. Yeah. But, but you're right. Like re- retail, there's just some things right out of the gate. Yeah. Kind of obvious. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That are obvious. Cause if you look at like what we talked about so far, um, coming to the site, browsing the site, viewing a product, adding it to cart, and then not start starting checkout. They tell you, okay, this person, it was, you know, steps away from actually completing a transaction. How can we get them to come back? And then on-site search, you know, is this person looking for something that we don't necessarily stock or are they just misspelling it and they can't Mm -hmm. find it? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how can we optimize the experience? Because if one person's doing, there's got to be many more. How -hmm. can we optimize it to get these people to a an actual item you know an item detail page yep um, and then w- wish listing you know th- these are people maybe hey you know they're telling you hey i'm not ready to purchase yet but um i'm going to, i i still want this you know how can you can I, say convince me to come back at a later date and purchase yep yeah and i i know that we're kind of focusing implementation wise like what things should be tracked but when it comes to search i think there's a lot of what what reporting should be set up out of the box of, um, like you said, null, null search results. There's a lot of cool padding things that you can do, especially now with uh, in Adobe Analysis Workspace and the flow reports that you can see um, with different dimensions, uh, how maybe if a user took a couple tries to find the thing that they were looking for um, or a couple tries before giving up and leaving the site, um, that type of mm-hmm. reporting is... Uh, really valuable. And um, yeah, it, that just goes beyond the implementation of make sure you have search terms and number of results. Um, I think another big thing is integrations that um, are often approached as a more advanced, further along the evolution type of thing. But I think some of them should be more of a given and tackled earlier, like before before you start tracking every click on every nav menu item. Um, you should be looking at integrating your CRM or um, you know, setting up that classification to bring in product information um, or bringing in the pre-click data on your newsletters and things like that. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's something that merits being tackled earlier in the process than a lot of folks are doing it. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good one. I, I didn't even, you know, in, in the context of this conversation, really didn't even think of, of integrations of bringing in the other data. I'm just thinking about the stuff on on your website. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the the email pre-click data. Um, and again, all of this, you know, properly planned out as part of an, a solution. And, you know, with that planning of when to when to tackle it, because, you know, you can't try to do all of it at once. Are there, say, key integrations that you know, when you're coming into something fresh, that you're looking to recommend to a client to say, we definitely need to consider this, you know, at some point, say in the in the next couple of months, as we really start to wire these things up. I think CRM is the biggest one of, uh, especially with, um, well, within Adobe, the customer attribute stuff, and within Google, the idea of users. Um, uh, and bringing in information about them that, yeah, if, if you have user ID or for PII, some, you know, hashed version of that, then 
as soon as possible, you should think about bringing in customer attributes so that you know, um, you know, this is a top seller, this is a prospect, this is our silver club members, this is a 42-year-old housewife, like whatever it is that you have and can bring in without PII issues. Um, there's so much value in visitor segmentation and, and building up the, the concept of audiences. Um, aside from that, yeah, I mean, I mentioned bringing in pre-click data and all of that. There's now the Adobe Advertising Analytics, and you can bring in your, uh, you know, cost per click and positions and all of that for your Google search and Bing search um, stuff. Um, that's kind of a low-hanging fruit type of thing. Um, but yeah, CRM, build, build up your profiles of your audiences and stuff, because even if you don't have audience manager or you're not currently doing anything with personalization and all of that, the longer you have that data set in place and collecting, even if you're not using it, the stronger your personalization and you know, profiling and all of that efforts will be when you do eventually get to it. Cool. Um, so now to kind of flip the conversation a bit, and I'm and not trying to be redundant based on a couple of the past conversations we've had, but you know we, we we've been talking about like what are the important things out of the gate to track that really give you deep information on what your visitor is trying to get to, what they want. What are some of the common things that you've seen, and I, I have a couple in my mind that a client says definitely want to track this. We need to track this but you know, it's just noise. And if you have a solution where you pay based on server call volume, right. you know, it, it, there's also a cost involved. What are some of the ones out of the gate that you know, like this is most likely a waste of time? Form freaking analysis. <laughs> Very strong <laughs> opinions on form analysis. And there's actually a blog post out there that's probably like five years old by now, but still valid. Because um, there used to be the form analysis plugin that folks would use um, on uh, the Adobe side of things um, that could tell you which form field the user had last touched when they abandoned a form. Um, it was prone to implementation errors, which would super inflate your uh, beacons and all of that. But aside from that, I've just never seen it used in a valuable way. And I've said that before and folks have corrected me. And, and I think it was even at Cognetic, um, which has a really awesome uh, analysis team department of analysts that, that showed me some use cases where it had been valuable. So I, I will defer and say some folks have gotten use out of it, but I'd say that's the exception and not the rule. Um, and at most, I think a lot of things like that, if you suspect your forms are too long and you want data to prove it, um, well, first of all, test. I mean, that that's a good, <laughs> that, that's a good use case for testing. And, and you probably don't need data to tell you that shorter forms are better. Um, but the problem with form analysis is that it shows you the last form touched, not the one that scared the user away. Adam Greco has some fun, you know, ideas around working around that using classifications and stuff like that. Um, some of it just comes down to Adobe or analytics or Google analytics. They're not good click stream type user experience tools, use Clicktail, use Crazy Egg, use something that is designed for that purpose. Um, and, and when you use those tools, hopefully they will give you great ideas for further questions to ask and things to test and all of that back in your Adobe suite. 
But um, yeah, that's the biggest one that drives me crazy when they want to see every single form interaction. In some cases, now that form analysis, the plugin is all but dead. Um, you know, custom solutions to, to see every form field. And uh, at most, I'd say, if you're interested in it, track it for two or three weeks, give yourself a hard deadline on when you're gonna stop, not only for your beacon's sake, but to force yourself to actually use the data and not just let it sit there, you know, feeling good that you have it in case you ever want it. Because um, it's, it's one of the harder things to implement well, it takes a lot of, of effort to get right. And one of the things that has the least value frequently. So. Sorry, cool, I have strong opinions one. on form analysis. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that, that's a good one. Um, because, you know, I, I, I've gotten questions like that before. Um, mine, the top of my list is, you know, the, a, a carousel. So you're looking at the homepage mm. carousel, a landing page carousel. And it's one thing to track clicks uh, through that. And not necessarily say firing off an event when the click happens, but tracking the next page that someone reached it via via the carousel and and whatnot through some form of like internal campaign tracking. But when it really becomes um, concerning for me is when there's this great you know demand for um, tracking carousel impressions um, because I've never really seen it used. There's this great excitement. We need to track to, you know, the impressions on the carousel as this carousel is spinning. And say you've got a carousel that's got four or five images and it's swapping out every 10 seconds. And, um, you know, you're, you're just firing off beacon after beacon, image request after image request. And to me, the data that's coming in is just noise. The, the push to get it instrumented is a distraction away from some of the more important things that we've talked about. And, and there's a very real cost, the cost of the person taking the time to implement it. And then the, you know, the cost, again, if you have a solution that charges based on volume of data that you're sending in. And what I've seen a lot of times is, is this kind of thing, you know, there's a push to get it wired up, it gets wired up and it's used for a short period of time. And then it's completely forgotten about and it's still just there firing off in the background. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I think so many of the things are just things that people, they're perhaps a bit ambitious, and uh, which isn't necessarily bad. Um, and they, they know that someday <laughs> they're going to want to do X type of analysis, um, and, and they'll feel like they're so much closer to that goal if they just have the data in there. But you're not actually that much closer to your goal of doing X sort of analysis um, if the data is sitting there and isn't being touched. Um, so yeah, I, especially things that have a higher level of effort for implementation. Uh, I think there's often a disconnect between level of effort to implement and level of value in reporting, um, that, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're not necessarily proportionate. Um, and, and because uh, frequently companies have a bit of a silo between the implementors and the implementators, if I'm sticking with my word, I'm trying to make work that probably never will. <laughs> um, and the uh, analysts that, you know, if, if you're working in JIRA and suddenly you get a JIRA ticket from an analyst that says, you know, please track hovers on this uh, product I details. I was just about today. to bring this one up. <laughs> um, we talked that, about it yesterday. If there isn't some sort of value filter to say, 
this is going to cost you X number of beacons. It's probably going to be a little bit difficult to implement well and may cause bugs and page performance hits and all of that. If you were to turn around to the analyst and tell them that, they'd say, oh, no, that was just a wish list thing. It's not that important. But there often isn't that discussion happening. So the developers will get it and they they don't push back and say, is this really valuable? Um, and they'll implement it. And yeah, so there, I, I think there needs to be more of a conversation of would you still want feature X in your tracking if you knew the level of effort to implement it, the cost of page performance, perhaps the cost of, of server calls? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was kind of hoping you would bring that one up because uh, I, I had that in my mind, you know, talking about, you know, just your request to track hovers because all, you know, and, and to, to have that conversation. So to you know, take it to the next point is, you know, that conversation that exactly that you're having, you know, I, I found it useful just to, um, to, to, to use an analogy that paints a picture. I'm like, think about it this way. If you're looking to track hovers or track impressions or even go to the forms. I said, think of someone just there moving the mouse around and every time they mouse over, is it really giving you an idea yeah. that they're interested? Someone's cat. Or is it just someone playing with a mouse? Yeah. That... <laughs> someone's cat is sitting on their keyboard inflating <laughs> think... your server calls. Exactly. And I, I think I even gave the example one time of it just, just someone leaves the web page up and mm -hmm. a kid comes along and just starts moving the mouse around. And I said, you know, that's data that's being collected. So is it really useful that these people ha are showing, you know, some sign of intent by hovering over it when it's just, mm -hmm. you know, a six-year-old moving the mouse around? Yep. I I've given that example too. And again, there are, there are tools for that. If you really want to see what is your user's eye drawn towards and all of that, like use the tools and methodologies that work really well for that um, and not analytics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I think you brought up a really good good example in the form of just flat out testing, A-B testing, because that will give you the truest sense of which which is better or is there a problem? Because then you're going to have a more accurate understanding than you know just tracking clicks to something or entries in a form field. Yep. Yeah. I think so. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think, man, I, I probably could just go on and on about like pet peeves for tracking, but we've hit the main ones, the form analysis, anything hover related. Uh, I think a lot of nav menu type of stuff um, folks really want to track. I do see potential value in it, but um, activity map can be valuable for that. Now, the problem with activity map is it shows uh, like the actual heat map tool is based on page name. And that means that if you have, you know, product details, colon one, two, three, um, you're only going to see a heat map for that particular page. And if you want to see across the site, all of your product details pages, how are users clicking and, and all of that, then the heat map might not be a great tool, but the actual reports still can be. Um, and I had an Adobe Insider tip and I'm happy to share the Google doc that I, I have that walks through it. If you um, think that you could get value out of using classifications to clean up some of those out of the box things. But activity map is, is a good resource that a lot of folks could use to get around the having to send an S.TL beacon on every nav menu click. Um, mm -hmm. And even then, I think a lot of things you got to come back to 
um, the classic question of, so what? Like, I want to track this or that. Well, so what? What will you do with it? Okay, you know that folks are clicking on this nav menu thing. So what? Um, and, and it's very possible that you'll be able to say, oh, well, folks are clicking on it there much more than they're clicking on it in the sales um, drop down, which is, you know, also in the nav menu. And maybe there's something about that that we can uh, capitalize on. Like, I, it, there is definitely things that you can do with that data. But if you have that in mind from the beginning, rather than saying, I'm going to be an awesome analyst and someday compare which nav menu section folks are looking at. Um, so for now, I'll just have the data because that gets me closer to being that awesome analyst. Well, yeah. Um, you got to find a balance there. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, going back to the beginning too, setting out a definition of when it comes to tracking user interactions, setting out a definition of, you know, what, you know, what is intent as compared to what are we trying to ultimately get, get the, the customer to do, get the visitor to do, uh, because then that can help also weed out, um, you know, the things that aren't necessarily intent. You know, it's mm -hmm. just, you know, I, I want to track something for the sake of, sake of tra uh, tracking it versus actually tracking something that the customer is trying to tell me. Yeah. Ooh, I thought of another one. Um, okay. Community stuff. Uh, if you have a support section of your site um, where folks can either post and ask questions or merely search, you know, an FAQ type of thing, or if you purposefully make it hard for your customers to find the phone number to call um, <laughs> because you want them to find the information on the website and, and save you your call center costs, um, that's often a under-implemented, undervalued uh, analytics data set because that's another place where you are interacting with the customer more closely. You know, it, it's more of an individual thing and you have the potential to either become their best friends or their worst enemies, depending on what it is that they're looking for. If they're trying to do a return, if they're trying to find your customer service chat bot or whatever, um, focus on those user journeys and whether they're finding what they want and whether you could make it more accessible for them, anything you can do to keep them out of your call center that hopefully sh comes up sooner in implementation than later. Um, but frequently there's not really a team, like that's not something that the marketing folks usually get excited about. Um, and it may or may not be tied directly to revenue. So it, it often gets a little unloved. I'm trying to think if there's anything else to, to include in here um, as far as things to pack out of the box, but yeah, just don't, don't under plan your content identification. Don't under report, don't, don't underuse the, the data that you get out of search. Um, and run, run all of your data implementation requests through some sort of value filter of, is, mm -hmm. is this going to be worth it? You know, with that value filter, the criteria really being understanding, um, or defining, not understanding, but defining what, um, what do we want to say is a customer intent signal? Because every click, every hover, every impression isn't necessarily intent. So what is intent as compared to what we're trying to get them right. to do? Yeah. Uh, because that's going to drive the most data. It's going to help keep your implementation costs in line. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to cause distractions 
mm-hmm. whether it's on the implementation side or you know in the form of noise in the data. Yeah, well, and and with intent, um, I, I think a huge part of that is starting to segment your users and saying, you know, if they came in off of Pinterest, then um, well, they they are their intent might be more for some sort of future planning type of thing. And maybe if they don't buy on this visit, that's okay. Um, We're going to report on them slightly different. Uh, I keep thinking of the the really tricky retail um, use cases of either uh, automobile or like I, I got to work a bit with a um, major, um, plumbing and like faucets and toilets and bathtubs and, and that type of stuff. And they have a awesome website, but folks don't go online to buy a toilet. Um, you go down to the local Home Depot to buy a toilet, maybe after doing a bunch of research online. So, uh, you know, they had audience audiences of folks that are coming there just for research and or interior design ideas and all of that. And then they do have, you know, an audience of contractors figuring out, well, these are the folks that want the PDFs that have the very specific specs that you could even pull into a CAD program or something. Um, So, you know, contractors is one set. And then there's folks that are just looking for a showroom or maybe folks that are looking for coupons. And can you somehow connect that to the coupons that are delivered in the store? and those type of, of things, it's very hard when you have a site like that where your main goal, you know folks aren't going to actually purchase online. How do you know that Ford.com uh, is succeeding at its goals if the the actual point of sale is uh, in person? Um, so, yeah, I, I do think in that case, a huge part of it is figuring out your audience and, and maybe even splitting up your audience and figuring out how can you segment them in ways to tell that you're succeeding uh, because um, bounce rate's a really funny one of, you know, we, we saw a huge segment of folks for this online uh, toilet <laughs> retailer. Um, they had a really high bounce rate. And when we actually dove into it, we saw that that bounce rate was for their store locator of they were coming in um, directly off of Google to get the hours and address of where they were trying to go. And if they bounced, that was a win. They found what they were looking for immediately. You mm-hmm. don't want them to have, you know, 80 hits, you know, trying to find that information and stuff. So once you start using segmentation a little bit more, you can um, really clarify that intent and and base your metrics and reporting and, and success indicators off of that. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you're, you're now starting to get into the, the dreaded conversation of we really need to plan this out versus let's just slap something up there. Mm-hmm. And it gets back to what we were talking about earlier with just trying to plan out, you know, your, your, your taxonomy in the form of what you're going to track as far as you know, values for page type and, and page name, mm-hmm. because you bring up a really good point. This is something where you want to stop and really plan out what you what what's your 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 you know what are your segments your customer segments um how, what are we going to define as their intent so what do we need to track versus just let, let, let's start tagging stuff up yep yep agreed 
and so much of the time it's really just a resource problem though of mm-hmm. i think a lot of folks understand this um and they they want to be that way but um it takes resources and and also just timeline of you know folks want their reporting and they want their dashboards now and it, that can make it a lot harder to say let's slow down and do it right mm-hmm. yeah especially if you know they, they, they've spent a ton of money just on the software right and yep. it's like you know you're telling me it's going to take how long to just even see stuff coming in yep now it uh I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you cool so i think that's i think we we, we hit everything so um, was, was there anything else, you know, in, in summary that you wanted to mention? I don't think so. I think, I think it's really mm-hmm. covered by just, uh, really focus on what's going to give you the most value and don't bite too much off at once. Um, I think that covers it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I'm good as well. So with that, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up for now and we'll, uh, we'll talk to everybody All later. Right. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com. The 33 Tangents podcast is a production of 33 Sticks.